0: This episode of The Swell Pod is brought to you in partnership with Kiln. Kiln provides flex office space for teams and individuals. Their all-inclusive set of amenities helps startups, creatives, and entrepreneurs alike get work done. Learn more about Kiln at kiln.co.
1: What does it take to create something that never existed before? What does it take to challenge the status quo? And what does it take to change the world? This is The Swell Podcast. We are passionate about the seed of an idea and how it swells into a movement. Take a journey with Josh and I as we seek the answers to those three questions through the stories of thought leaders, world beaters, <laughs> world <laughs> <Cue the>, beaters. <laughs> cue the
0: Rocky music, world beaters. Oh leaders, you my know. goodness. Da, yeah. Da, 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 world world beaters. <laughs>
1: Game changers, disruptors, and other pleasantly rebellious humans who ventured into the unknown on a personal journey to do something novel, innovative, creative, and or disruptive. So Josh, tell us a little bit about our guest today.
0: Yeah, love it. So our guest today is uh, Deidre Paknad, the CEO and co-founder of Workboard. Uh, an enterprise platform that aligns outcomes across remote teams she has led several high growth organizations as a founder and as an executive at ibm she has twice been recognized by the smithsonian for innovation and has over a dozen patents Daydre believes that while most of us are masters of our task list being master of our outcomes can elevate our personal impact and accelerate team breakthroughs she works with senior leadership teams at companies such as Microsoft, IBM, and Workday to help them clarify, align, measure, and drive strategic priorities more effectively, and shift from an outcome or output—excuse me—to an outcome mindset. And Spencer, yeah, what did we uh, what did we come away with this session thinking about?
1: Oh gosh, like there's a couple of things because we we know Deidre and we've done some you know other things with her over the years. Um, but she brings it like a fresh perspective. Like if you think the sound of KPIs and metrics is a little bit dry, she shakes that up completely. Um, the way she talks about it, um, focusing in, in on what really matters. Um, she does it in a way that's inspiring um, for not just us, but, but for any team that is trying to do this across organizations. Um, and in life, uh, yeah, she does it in an inspiring way, in a simple way, and I think uh, she actually gave us a little bit of a advice mm. around how we could build an o- an OKR or you know uh, something that builds outcomes and metrics around our own podcast. Uh, but yeah, she just does it in a way that's super great. I, you know, I don't think there's anyone else like like her.
0: Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I know, at least from from a topic standpoint, I'll just say this that the idea of output and outcomes and you know having outcomes over output has always resonated very strongly with me it kind of goes back to the the what versus the why kind of thinking in my mind you know is like why do you do something versus what are you doing and the why has always kind of stood out a little bit more strongly to me and i kind of get that same feeling when we talk about outcomes and i think it's just really cool when you start to think about it, you know, applying some of this stuff personally, as we did when we thought about the yeah. podcast, but also for businesses as well. So I think it's a really cool, applicable topic to just about anybody who might be listening.
1: Yeah, I t- totally, yeah. So if you um, you wanted to approach your life or work in a different way where it's a little bit more focus on what you're trying to achieve in an inspiring way, come, stay with us and listen.
0: Yeah, check it out, listen. Then subscribe to the podcast, you know, like it and subscribe it. Share it with everybody, you know. Um, Yeah. All right. Bye. Yeah. But Hang on. Is that one Uh, of our metrics? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. I can't remember.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, so get liking. Come on, guys. Um, All right. Well, hey, actually, one thing that I did want to mention is, You know, Mm. there was a little bit of a distance between, or not distance, duration between when we interviewed Adri. And and look, good things sometimes happen. Do you know what? Her company that she built with her husband actually has since uh, gone to IPO and done really well. And so, you know, good things happen when you wait. (laughs) When you wait and
0: good good things happen after you're on the Swell podcast. So
1: That's what I meant to say, yeah. All right, enjoy, guys. All right, bye. Welcome to uh, the Swell Podcast, uh, Deidre. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, actually, before we get started, I actually think there's a great discussion about a certain program. Uh, so uh, you've heard of um, uh, TV Ted Lasso, right? Yes, indeed. And the sh- the show on That's Netflix, yeah. Well, I, I, we've heard yeah. that you love that show, but you know, I'm from England. Josh is, I don't know, let's say, did you nearly go professional? I don't know, you're a soccer player. Uh, yeah, we've got a great show. What do you enjoy about that?
2: <laughs> oh, I. you know, I have this saying that optimism is a superpower and that, that entire show, Ted Lasso himself, is exactly that right just the optimism with which he woke up every single day and approached every other human with optimism with generosity with an open heart man if we could all show up that way every day wow just how powerful and potent that would be making the world a better place
0: yeah It was funny too. So Spencer had slacked me that little tidbit of information just a little bit ago. And I had, I had looked through your, your um, I had looked through your Twitter and I saw, you know, a post about fresh eyes and I saw a post about ignorance uh, really just not knowing and being okay with that. Right. Like, and I was like, man, just watching that trailer, I was like, that is so that's, that's probably the perfect example. This guy put in a situation where, you know he's he has fresh eyes, but he's also ignorant of of so many things. Yet he's so engaging and optimistic, and yeah, everything else that you mentioned, which is is really interesting. But yeah, um, so yeah, I don't know where do we, where, where, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead, yeah.
2: And he was free of arrogance, which was yeah. just and, and instead of pretending that he knew more than he knew, which is I mean, such a liberating thing really to not pretend that you know more than you know
0: yeah yeah well so should we jump in ultimately
1: sorry there's a a real bad lag on here sorry about this it's just a it's very it's very delayed so apologies for that no i was going to just say adam grant's book right super powerful around the power of not you know power of knowing what you don't know, and I think that's what you're saying around the leadership perspective, but yeah, go for it, Josh
0: no, yeah, i'm sorry about the delay yeah well i guess we'll we'll work through some of these kinks, but i think um you know, I guess if we were to dive into i think a, a big topic that we i think we're really interested in and the thing i think that we' we're, we're all willing to know more about right is is on the topic of, of outcome mindset, outcome versus output and, and, and OKRs. And I think, you know, I'll just provide a little context for me because, you know, so I, as a storyteller, as a designer and, and as a creative, I, you know, I have this procri- proclivity towards uh, work in life that's more, more meaningful, uh, more valuable and filled with kind of emotional connection. And I find so much of that in in your messaging around outcome mindset and OKRs. And yeah, um, I would love to dive more into that. So maybe if you can just provide our our audience and listeners with an overview of of outcome mindset versus output and, and even OKRs, if that would be okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the the notion of outcome mindset is uh, it's both an approach to how to do OKRs. All OKRs aren't created equal, right? So it's a method for doing OKRs. And it's also maybe a mantra and a way of showing up in the world, right? A way of thinking fundamentally. And the way we think about outcome mindset is we start with what are the outcomes? And in particular, what does great outcome look like? And you start with that intention, with the purpose, with how do I create the most value? What is that value? And then you start the activity. As opposed to you start with a list of things to do and you hope that they lead to some kind of outcome. So it's, if you will, starting with the end in mind, starting with value in mind, thinking about all the work you do has purpose. And and the way you know that is you start with the purpose before you start the work. And, and I, I think for a lot of people, we have a bit of a reflexive habit, history, like legacy in a lot of our companies of just doing the list. And we don't have a habit of thinking about what impact we want the things on that list to really have for the company, for our team, right, for the group we're in. And so outcome mindset is, in a sense, a bit of being awake when you think about where you're going to start and you start. And, and the first part of being awake is why? What's great look like? What are the outcomes that are really meaningful and powerful? Okay, let me get clear on that. And now I can confidently work with purpose, right? From an OKR perspective, it's um, a, there's a set of hallmarks of outcome mindset as a method for doing OKRs. But the kind of the fundamental thing around it is uh, a, kind of the first principle, which is Bold vision is achieved by inspired, ambitious thinking, high urgency, and sharp focus. Like we just start with that basic belief system. Like anemic vision might be achieved another way, but bold vision is achieved this way, right? And so we think about, okay, so mm-hmm. if we're going to bring OKRs into our achievement of bold vision. What do they need to do for us, right? And we think about as well, they have to unlock our ambition our highest pursuit, right? Our pursuit of great, not our pursuit of ordinary or next, right? They have to foster a sense of inherent ownership, right? For the people who are actually moving the needles actually care about the needle and they care about how far they move it, right? And if the approach we take to OKRs doesn't do that, we don't get, Inspired, ambitious thinking. We don't get high urgency. We don't get sharp focus, right? And then we don't get to bold vision. We just get incremental moves forward. And I'm, I'm as a person, I'm not interested in the incremental moves forward. I'm more interested in the big, bold moves forward, right? And so, for us, oh, that approach to OKRs is really mindful about not just relabeling KPIs and calling them OKRs because that's trending now. It's actually thinking about the cultural implications of how we go about setting objectives and how we set key results and how we respond once we've set them. All those things come into play in the way we think of outcome mindset method for OKRs.
0: Yeah, I love that. And what's really interesting, like I I think we're going to, I'm probably going to want to dive into, I think that... that that motivational side of it, because so at least uh, in our previous interviews that we've done on this podcast is, um, you know, we've we've interviewed a, a very diverse set of guests uh, in in terms of their experience and different things like we've had we've had artists, we've had um, chief experience officers, uh, licensed clinical social workers. I mean it's it's all it's all over right and what's been really interesting is we've seen that t- our tendency at least on the podcast so far has been to really focus on those moments of basically this idea of what does it take to create something that never existed before kind of that that beginning uh cataclysmic mm-hmm. moment of the idea happening but what's so great I think when we talk about outcomes and and the alignment and the motivational side is it's that next phase of that wave you know it's 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 taking it from the individual to then finding a group of people who believe in that thing enough to team up and and make that thing real um and so from a motivational side um i'm wondering if we can dive into that a little bit more and just maybe even demonstrate the the juxtaposition of the motivational side of it when you think about uh outcomes versus output i guess yeah
2: yeah, no, I love that, and, uh, and as you guys know, right, Workboard's my third company. I'm, I've spent a long, long time creating something from nothing, um, and uh, mm-hmm. and that's a really different thing than incrementally advancing something that's existed for a long while, right? And I'm obviously super energized by that. But the the kind of difference or the mm. nuance, if you will, if I take two examples and say. If I've got an output orientation versus an outcome orientation, the, if you go down the, like, I'll say not typical company, but relatively typical company has a strategy. Let's say the strategy is we're going to enter a new market and we enter that new market. We're going to come in with a product that we believe is faster than a competitor's product. And because it's just so much better, we're going to be able to steal their market share and grow our revenue, company strategy. And then leadership team thinks about that. Maybe they hire somebody outside to think about that for them. But And then they come in and say, okay, this is the strategy at the big town hall, right? Everybody go do what you do. And five, six, seven, eight layers down the org chart, the marketing team says, okay, well, I guess new segment, we should do some sales training. And then they assign the tasks, Bob, you write the playbook, Bill, you update the personas, Jane, you do the collateral. Let's all be done by the end of the month. Check, check, and check. Everybody gets their stuff done and they go on to the next thing. Five, six, 11, eight layers down the org chart. There's dev team working on product that at the top of the house, they believe is supposed to be competitive, right? That's going to trump this existing or the incumbent player. But they're just they're just shipping six point four because it's right after six point three. They got the backlog. They've already groomed it. They're just doing what they do, so they do it. Two quarters later, haven't won a deal. Don't have a product faster than a competitor's, and nobody in sales knows how to sell it anyway. but everybody did all the work, right? Like they checked it off. They crossed mm-hmm. off their list. They right. They maybe they were really proud of the personas when they updated them. It just. There was no outcome from all that work. And there's two quarters of lost time. And it's classically strategy execution gap, right? We executed. We just didn't achieve the strategy. In an outcome mindset world, there's different thinking, right? So the marketing team, six, seven layers down the org, it's like, okay, what are we really trying to achieve? Not what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? Well, we need to make sure that the sales team is really confident they can compete and win in this segment. And instead of saying, what will we do? They say, well, how would we know? Well, 85% of the sellers would tell us that they were really confident that they could compete and win, meaning the sales team would believe that they could win. Okay, then what do we need to do? Well, let's do sales training, whatever. When 25% of the sales team says we're confident and 75% says that no, I still don't get it, we aren't done. Right. Then we figure out, OK, what's the next set of tactics we might use to try and achieve the strategic outcomes we need to drive here to, to achieve or align with and contribute to the company's outcomes? And if those don't work, either, you're still trying. You're not done. Right. You're still working in pursuit of the outcomes and making all kinds of game day decisions about how to shift and how to optimize and so on, because you're really clear on the purpose of the work you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And when you really get to the end game, right? Same thing on the dev org. It's not, what do we need to do? It's, what are we trying to achieve? Well, we need it to be materially faster than, kick ass faster than the incumbent product. Well, how would we know? Well, it only take two clicks to complete a transaction and the load time would be less than three seconds. And like you'd really get down to what does kick-ass faster look like? And then we'd actually hold ourselves accountable to, well, shoot, we've got still six steps in the transaction flow. They have seven. That's not kick-ass faster, guys. We got to like, we got to get it down to two. How do we get it? Right. And so they're, again, owning their own tactics, et cetera, but measured by really the value that they're creating, in this case, the value they're creating for the customer, not the value they're creating for their internal customer, the sales team, as the marketing team was doing, right? And then you get to a place where two quarters later, sales owns its own number and they believe they can achieve it and they have something in their bag that's actually going to compete well and drive revenue, take revenue or market share away from an incumbent, right? Achieve the company strategy. And if you think about whether... You're energized by, okay, I gotta re, I gotta update the playbook and I these are my items on the backlog, or are you really energized by 85% of the sales team actually loved my sales training and they think they can crush it now? I know what my part was in growing revenue, or our product is so much better than the other guys, right? It's this much faster in transaction time, then load time, etc. Which one of those feels better at the end of the day? I like, I take I know my value every day of the week, right? Over I did my list, any day of
0: the week. Yeah, absolutely. That makes absolutely Spencer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if there's a delay still, but um, no, it, it, that just resonates with me so so much. So you're not just talking about alignment, you know, whether you're a small company or an individual, you know, contrib- contributor, or a big business it's not just about alignment to a mission it's also to something that can talk to the actual individual soul right something that would motivate them to bring their best self to work every day to contribute to it not not i mean hopefully with i don't know how okr's and or if they out OKRs actually help contribute to this, but actually finding the right strengths and passions of that individual. So it's less about how, you know, what we do, what we specifically are being told to do. But actually, if that's the mission and I'm passionate about and I'm really strong at X, Y and Z, then then maybe I can bring that to the table to innovate and to be autonomous. And I'm not sure how, you know, whether you've seen OKRs and, you know, hamper or help. Autonomy and innovation, because I think suspect that done badly could could harm it, right?
2: Yeah, look, you can definitely do OKRs badly, and frankly, you can do them with no soul, and no impact, and lots of bureaucracy, and 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 I would just say like, why do it at all, right? When I when I started by saying like, really to achieve a bold vision, you need inspired, ambitious thinking not just with the leadership team, everywhere in the org. And you need high urgency, and you only get high urgency when people really care, right? And you need sharp focus, and you only get sharp focus when people have real clarity, right? And that comes not from the top down, that comes from everywhere, right? And so when I think about how to do OKRs and the, and the method that we use there, it's actually about helping each and every team think about, well, what does awesome look like? That's what the is trying to achieve. We're experts in X, right? Whatever your domain is, we're experts in X and our skills are these and our zone is that, right? What's great look like locally if we're contributing to the global objectives and results of companies trying to drive? And you, you, you're actually answering that question locally as opposed to, The cascade model will tell you what to think and what to do. I think in some ways that's kind of infantilizing for people at work. It's like treating them like they're slow children. And I think you flip that on its head and say, okay, you guys, you decide what your own awesome looks like, right? We'll use a common vocabulary for that. We'll use a common construct for that, but you figure out your own best possible. You are expert in what you do, what your team does, right? You know what your local truth is. You know what's working. You know what's breaking. What's your awesome look like? You declare it, right? And the ask is that it be accretive to the company's objectives and results. Right? That's the ask. As opposed to the dictation you must align, It's it should be accretive. As opposed to you're working for some other company, right? That, But I, I think people get that and and start there inherently. They want to be a part of something. They start with that in the first instance rather than we have to force them to think about how they how they contribute. They actually show up every day to contribute. Let's give them language, safety net, method, opportunity. And I think of it as invitation to think about what their great looks like, to articulate that, to connect it in and to own it.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I wonder whether, I don't want to take it off on a tangent, but I, I just like, I, I'm curious to know how many times you basically asked that question, because it's pretty refreshing when I hear it, which is, what does awesome look like? Um, I heard from someone that you you and your husband were on a beach, right? Uh, when you decided to found uh, you know, a workboard solution, uh, I think it was Santa Cruz, right? and uh and so at that point you probably described to yourselves what would awesome look like in this space maybe and it sounds like that wasn't the only time you did that right that you've probably done it hundreds of times since but you're saying even on a daily basis probably i don't know what is that what you're saying to continue to go back to what that vision is
2: i think that um so i think if you're uh if you're let's say you're in a company situation, right? And the company has a set of strategic priorities and urgency to go achieve them. If you're doing OKRs well, every team, every quarter is actually taking the pause to look at what the company objectives are, look externally, what's true in the universe, look internally, what's true in our world, and then ask itself the question of, okay, what's our intention? What do we want to achieve? And if we're wildly successful, what does that look like? What does awesome look like? And as you you probably heard, we do a lot of OKR coaching, meaning we literally come in and help teams think through their objectives and key results the first time they're doing it. And it's um, something I started years ago, maybe four years ago, uh, and I've done a ton of it myself for executive teams, helping them figure out what their objectives are and what their best possible results are. And I've done it for every team down the line so that I had an opportunity as founder, co-founder, and CEO to really understand what the differences are and are not between, for example, how a frontline support team, a senior engineering team, a marketing team, a sales team, an executive team, and everybody in the middle really thinks through, well, what are we trying to achieve? And what does great look like? And how does that fit into the big picture? And, my, and so in those sessions, and I've literally done hundreds of them, in those sessions, I have asked teams many times, so you guys, what's awesome look like? And what is surprising but makes my job so fun. And what we do as a company so fun is the number of people who haven't asked the question before, like they just hadn't thought mm. that. And often farther in the org, they didn't feel like they had permission for ambition. They didn't feel like they were even entitled to imagine what best possible looks like. They felt they were being asked to decide what was most predictable, what was most probable, And so they were all aiming for safety, not aiming for great. Tragic, tragic. And when you go back to what the CEO wants, bold vision, we need to move quickly. Well, then you need to give people permission for ambition because you don't move quickly or boldly Mm -hmm. when everybody's aiming for safety, right? This is the great unlocking and the connection, if you will, my mind between outcome mindset, culture, OKRs and growth companies in an entirely new world that we are all heading straight into right now.
1: Mm. Can I? That's that's pretty motivating that? and refreshing. Just to hit, yeah, go for it.
0: Sorry, Spencer. Um, it, so it, one of the things that came into my mind as I was doing some research before this 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 this, this podcast, it was because. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the ambition part of it. I was thinking about you know, we're ultimately unlocking this this meaningful this meaningful work, right? And I think that I'm I'm interested in the moments when everything shifts and your outcomes have to change. And so from the individual's perspective who's found meaning in that previous outcome, you know, like in a very in a very personal kind of way, in a very ambitious kind of way, what have you seen in those moments when the outcome suddenly does have to shift. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that.
2: When we the outcomes we were pursuing in the past are no longer what we wanna pursue in the future, or when I just realized I was we, thinking about outputs and now I'm, I, I get it on outcomes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I'll clarify. Yeah. So let's say we've we've adopted outcome, like an outcome mindset, or we're fully living that and we are asking what is what is awesome. Um, but something happens as a result, you have to change your outcomes, like there's a there's a need to shift your outcomes. But the previous outcome, let's say from a team level or an individual level, I felt personally motivated in and connected to, you know, and I'd love to know just from your experience, what have you seen in those moments when those outcomes did have to shift? Was there, was there pain or was because of everything that it instills in, into the team and into the organization, if it was actually an easier transition to find that connection to that new outcome? Yeah.
2: Great question. So the way we think about the OKR cycle is we, Obviously, we get aligned within teams and across teams on you know what are what are our intentions, our objectives, and what does great look like, our key results. And then we spend the quarter focused on driving those. And we uh, we practice a bunch of results rituals, which really keep us dialed into pursuit of our great, right? As opposed to pursuit of our email box or uh, chat channels, right? And then super important part of that cycle for us is a look back and learn stage. So end of quarter, a very explicit moment where we say, okay, what are our victories? What are our challenges? What are the shifts we need to make? What's changed outside? What's changed inside? Right? And are these the right objectives now? Knowing what we know today, not 92 days ago, but today, knowing what we know, right objectives? Are these the right key results? Are we measuring the right value? Is this the value that matters next? Or was that the value that mattered last period? And that learning cycle, when teams have that muscle, when they really take the time, it's amazing how easy it is to let go when you're asking questions of what's changed externally, what's changed internally, where where's the best place for us to create value now in the next cycle. So if you have that muscle and flexibility, my experiences, people are actually more focused on forward value creation than hanging on to their sacred cow from prior cycle, right? You just start to lean forward and that's both lean into value and lean into the roadblocks because, you know, the faster you lean into those, the faster you remove them and the more value you create, right? It's a forward leaning versus backward looking kind of behavior pattern, If you take the time to do the look back and learn at the end of the cycle, if you gloss over that, yeah, you have all kinds of sacred children and sacred cows and sacred beanie bunnies and all kinds of stuff, right. That everyone's holding out of their (laughs) artifact instead of thinking clearly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's interesting because the way you talk about, you know, building muscle and, Uh, previously when I've what I've heard when I've heard you speak to this like um, I'm wondering you know do people look at outcome mindset and 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 everything that Workboard is about ultimately as as like a shortcut to alignment because I can imagine you know I can imagine your answer is that you know it's not necessarily maybe to be viewed as a shortcut to alignment but it actually takes a lot of time to find not just alignment, but meaningful alignment, I guess, right? And I would love to just hear from your experience, what, what's it been like? Do people look at it as a shortcut to alignment or are they ready and prepared and and and, and aware, I guess, of, of kind of some of the heady work that has to go into um, really being intentional?
2: Yeah. I don't think they look at outcome mindset as a shortcut to alignment. And it's in some ways... Uh, I'll argue that having an outcome mindset is actually perpetual alignment,
0: mm.
2: right? That the way we're thinking mm. about why why we're here, why we're in this meeting, why we're doing this work, why we're doing what we're doing this quarter—all of that is from causing you to always be thinking about: Are these outcomes accretive? Do I do I even know what the heck they are before I spend the time? And I let the weeks go by, or I take resources and allocate them in this direction. I, I think the um, if you approach OKRs and you approach alignment with well, an outcome mindset, which I'll argue is, you know, what does great really look like? Like Let's align on our best possible outcomes, not our minimum bid. right? <laughs> if you approach alignment with that in yeah. mind, then you get not only alignment, but you get inspired thinking, more ambition, higher urgency. You get all those other things that are the substance of, I'll say, much deeper alignment on and around that bold vision and its realization versus the forced march of alignment, which is we have it in name only, and you have about 50% of my interest every day. The other 50% is wondering why I'm here, right? Real alignment is, I care deeply about Mm -hmm. what my team's in pursuit of and I connected to and I was co-author of it and I know how creative that is. And it's sort of shifting the energy to sense where you started, right? Which is how does it feel as a person, right? Knowing that your work has purpose, knowing what the value of that is and knowing how it contributes to the company. I'm just using different words with more depth in them to describe alignment at a And I'll say a a more holistic and a more whole way than we may be traditionally thought about alignment. I think, and I use the word accretive also to talk about aligned, right? So If it's accretive to the global strategy of the company, I'm working in alignment and my outcomes are in alignment with it. And then I think about results alignment, Mm -hmm. not people alignment, not team alignment. I don't think we get people aligned. I think we get our outcomes aligned. Right. So we know that they add up. Mm. And I think sometimes we ha- think about I love that. We need to get people aligned. or We have to get teams aligned. It's like that's an org chart exercise. Well, I don't care what the org chart is. Let's get outcome aligned. Right. Which is a, a wholly different way of thinking yeah. about it. And then starts to move us to like, well, then we need more purposeful teaming. Right. Because the outcomes we're trying to create on this product are required developers and product managers and go-to-market team members and customer experience team members. And I, I don't need the org chart for that. I just need them all to come together, have a shared point of view on, okay, Hey guys, what's great look like? What's our real intention here? And what are the results that we all believe are best possible? And that's teaming off the org chart, driving alignment around the outcomes. Not everybody down the org chart has OKRs, okay, so Okay. We're aligned. You're probably not,
1: but <laughs> you have the big process anyway. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what, at, at what point size of organization do you, because it, it just sounds like it's an impossible thing to do to keep it continually adapting and, and aligned in a big organization unless you have a proper tool to do that with. Yeah. I mean, do, you know, getting lost in PowerPoint and, and Excel is probably impossible. After how many people, right? Would you say it's over 20 people? Is it 100 people? At what point does that become uh, critical?
2: Yeah, I mean, we've obviously been on a tool from the beginning. Um, and today, I think if you, the way you think about the tool is like, how fast do you wanna go? How much of your people's time do you wanna spend in finding what results they should be focused on. How much time do you want them to spend finding what the teams they're dependent on are working towards and what their progress is? How much time do you want them to spend putting that together for the ops reviews and the product reviews and the business reviews and then the quarterly business reviews? The the question to ask is, how much do you want to pay for transparency? More importantly, how big do you want that tax to be on the people... That work at your company because if you if you don't mind that tax being like 20 30 percent mm. of their time you don't need a tool if you think the tax should be zero then you should i think use a platform and it, in some silly ways it's like it's 2021 right um if you don't if your process isn't digital do you really have one is, is <laughs> yeah. anybody anything I, yeah i
1: remember anything? working in any part of our business but rational, yeah, yeah. No, I remember, I, I remember giving, I uh, working for Microsoft in Bell. Oh, sorry, go
2: ahead.
1: Delayed. Well, I was gonna say, I remember reading uh, Bill Gates's book about digital. I think the digital world or something back in 2000, 20 years ago, 21 years ago, uh, that really imagined a new world, what great looked like digitally. And it, of course, we've still got big challenges in those areas, but you know, great great platforms that can actually address that. Um, I was curious, I'd be curious to know what, you mentioned uh, some of the, the rituals that you have, maybe some of the more unusual rituals that you have inside the organization to continue to go back to what is great um, on a regular basis. Do you have any that you, you, you you can share? Yeah,
2: there's a couple, one of them, one of my favorites and the easiest one to kind of really build focus and kind of has the biggest impact on what teams achieve is something we call Calibrate, Celebrate. So Calibrate Mondays with the team, like Calibrate on, okay, what is it we were trying to achieve? Like really Monday, reconnect with our aspirations, like reconnect with our ambition and really think about it that way. Like we came here to do something amazing. What was it again? (laughs) It's amazing how you can let all of Monday go by without actually remembering what you showed up for. Right. And so this Calibrate Monday is what was our ambition? Let's recenter on what we thought our great was and start our week there. Which means our whole week is actually focused on, oh, yeah, yeah, purpose. And then celebrate is Friday, right? Which is celebrate the micro victories on Friday. And it literally can be 15-15, right? Calibrating on what you came to achieve in that calibration. Okay, what's in our way? Because if we all get on a phone call 15 minutes on Mondays, like, okay, we were, we're in pursuit of something we're excited about. What's in our way? Let's problem solve right now. Get that out of our way for the week. We have actually something to enjoy on Friday when we spend 15 minutes celebrating our micro victories. And I think those micro victories, especially in a work from home world, God, they're hard to come by, and they're so important, right? It's when you're when you're physically in the same office, the micro victory, like in the moment, it's like oh my God, I just came back from the best meeting, and it felt so, right. You really feel the micro victory together, and you share it. We don't, if we don't create those micro victory moments to share, like fully 50% of the fun of work is gone, right? So calibrate Monday, celebrate Friday and celebrate the micro victories. That's a big one. The second one is um, actually about the red. It's like finding the gold in the red. So what's going off the rails? What looks like it's really far behind and digging into that, and actually celebrating the ambition in there, because teams that really, really lean into ambition spend a lot of time in the oh, call it the red zone, right, where they're short of where they wanted to be, because where they wanted to be was super ambitious. And when companies leaders, especially and team leads, have this celebrate the red motion, they're, what they're actually doing is celebrating ambition. And they're focusing the team's time on removing roadblocks to achieving what that ambition was, right? And instead of inspecting the red, you're celebrating the red. And the question is, what are we learning? What are we learning? What are we learning? What's in our way? What's in our way? As opposed to what went wrong? What's going wrong? What happened here? They just change the language up. The more often you do that, obviously, the faster the roadblocks leave uh, leave your path, right? That one's a huge one. And I think when leaders do that, they change the culture.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, lo- I, I love that uh, from a perspective and very interesting way of, of looking at it. I've, I, I assume you're gonna you use these rituals at home with your family. I, I, I'd like to see your family OKRs. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> how far do you take it?
2: my my family is like uh my daughter's an entrepreneur uh founder of her own company my husband and i are co-founders um so we have among the weirdest home lives of anyone you any family <laughs> you'd ever see it's um <laughs> it's a family where oh well, hang on says, give us
1: some more insight give
2: us you give. Know. It. You know, most of the time there's this expectation of like okay uh if we're going to do this thing together or that thing together in our family, it's like, okay, whatever the business needs, just go do that. Got your back. It's all good. As opposed to, are you seriously going to get on another zoom call? But you just got off one it's Friday night. It's Saturday afternoon. What all of us are, we're all on the same page, which is whatever you need to do, just whatever you need to do, <laughs> go make it happen. Um, and I think that actually is quite helpful. There's a high tolerance for, um, work-life imbalance at our house <laughs> Just is the only oh, thing you gosh. can call it imbalance.
1: <laughs> so do you do you actually have a work board account as a family <laughs> not as
2: like a family but my I, my own um my stuff is I, like i live there yeah i live there i'm like not not smart enough to have like 27 places where i keep track of what i want to be when i grow up like i just have one place where i i do that and yeah it's um i just live in there
1: nice and like I, my I, Josh, kr is like what I'm i trying want to, to ask do a, and, oh yeah did you
2: guys freeze or did i
1: freeze oh fantastic i want to go back to a no, question about the beach <laughs> Uh, the beach, and then I've got a question for you, Josh. Sorry, do you have a question before I go to the beach? <laughs> no, go for it. So that, where,
2: where so did, what that, did where come
1: from? Yeah, what did great look like back then when you decided to found uh, your third company? And how has it changed? Yeah,
2: great question. So we... Um, that at the time we were having really different experiences in our, our lives. And uh, before we started the company and you know, I was at the time I was at IBM and I, my last company had been acquired and my business was growing fast and it was getting bigger and bigger and, and like getting everyone aligned on the mission and get, and getting transparency on you know, how are we achieving it was getting harder and harder and harder, the bigger we got, but harder it, it got to make every Sure, everybody had high momentum, aligned on the mission. We all knew our metrics. Like that was just um, actually taking from 20% of my time to 40% of my time. Like, God, this is brutally hard. Like, how do you really do it at scale? Like you kind of don't. It's so hard, right? At the same time, my co-founder, my husband, that was working at a technology company, but he's a competitive cyclist. And so he's like a spreadsheet where he's keeping track of he writes six days a week. So he's got every day, a decade, how many miles, how many minutes, power output, whatever. And he's on a cycling team and all of the his teammates were all keeping their own results privately, right? in their own spreadsheets. And then they all moved to Strava at the same time. And all of a sudden they have like total results transparency. And then also they have transparency of how the other teams that are competing in their races, et cetera, are doing. And he had this huge epiphany, which is... With that data, he could train less and win more. And that is the holy grail, whether you're like an athlete on a bike or you're an athlete in a business or whatever, right? It was, oh, okay, okay, wait a minute. How come you have that on your phone and it's changing your game, right? It's changing how your team succeeds. And I have to wait till the quarterly business review, which takes 60 hours to prepare for, to find out how my business did 80 days ago. (laughs) <laughs> you can see how your teammates did on a ride that ended five minutes ago like whoa this is yeah this is an opportunity and that was that maybe we could uh, right and we that is work for ultimately right what we thought then was that there would ultimately team leaders would want to have a mechanism to make sure everybody on their team was like part of the game right and could ride well, play well, if you will. And that we thought in the beginning it would be like team level and then up to manager level and then up to like VP level. And we did that for a couple of years. And then we realized that actually teams really wanted to know what's the strategy of the business, right? Like without the, a good signal from either the division they're in or the business they're in on like, what are the strategic priorities of the company? They were a little bit at a loss on like how to connect, right? And they were super hungry for yeah. But if I only knew what Jack was thinking, (laughs) then I would know what my strategic priorities should be. And then we realized, okay, actually, we should start at the top because the top isn't clear enough. There's no way for teams at the front line to be clear when the leadership team isn't clear enough. And so we switched and started literally selling to the leader level first. Uh, We thought that would be slower. Than it was but ultimately we had a pretty common mission all along the path which is it should be awesome to be on the team you're on you should know what winning looks like and you should feel that you're part of a bigger thing right and always be accelerating it was kind of the idea from the outset and you can tell that the cycling part had a really big influence on how we thought about it right it's competitive we came to win we came to do great things we came to ride a great race
1: That's fantastic yeah, though, to just have that that kind of journey and how, how it's had to adapt over, over time. And has the has the um, that moment, the cycling or the or the or the beach, has that filtered into your culture somehow? The, uh, the theme.
2: Yeah, actually, we the um, the water thing is actually fairly, um, fairly threaded in. So we have internally we talk about Mavericks Wave, which is really big. Uh, it's a beach near our office and uh, every whatever year, year and a half or so, there's enormous waves on Mavericks, right? And, um, And they're like, you know, four foot on a regular day and 70 feet on when Mavericks is really running. And it's epic actually in our kind of neighborhood and best surfers in the world stop and show up for this huge wave, right? So internally, we thought there would ultimately be an enormous wave where teams and companies everywhere change the way they work and work with purpose was central. We didn't know when the wave would come. So we've been calling it our own Mavericks for years, right? So everybody's got Mavericks sweatshirts and whatever. And interestingly enough, this year, January 7th, Mavericks was higher than it had been in 20 years. And it just felt perfect that 2021, the beginning of the year, Mavericks was at its all time high and, of course, that's sort of where our business is right now as well, right? 2020 just was a big accelerator for people and teams and companies everywhere that need to stay connected around outcomes and purpose in a way they didn't think they needed to even one year ago.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, I like how you filtered it into, into the culture. Josh, I know we're going to wrap up now, but um, I, I thought it would be interesting to ask you a question, Josh
0: yeah shoot. um
1: it would be um what is uh, do, do, do what is our okr at the moment for the podcast
0: this is interesting because yeah we haven't really i mean we do we have one? about it but we definitely haven't <laughs> taken no i mean have we said what awesome would be what what is what would be awesome i don't know like so for me you know being able to like satisfy this kind of curiosity uh, and ultimately like I, I'm I like to look for patterns in things and even going back to what you just said what was so interesting about that is in our in our interview so far there's been this pattern of of you know this known versus unknown and taking something that kind of came from nowhere uh, somewhere else and then putting it together to create something that you know that is completely fresh and new. And I'd love to know if that similar circumstance actually happened in pre- with your other two previous companies. But for me, you know, what is awesome is simply talking with, you know, people like you and being able to satisfy my curiosity, but for the podcast, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah.
1: What, what? Well, hang on. We've got Deidre on the call. What, what do you think about you doing me? a five minute interview? <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's do it. Will you do that? Will you just walk us through a a basic five minute, six minute intervention for our podcast?
2: Yeah. So that was great, Josh. Good context. When you think about what you hope listeners get from it, what are the words that come to mind?
0: I would hope they, they would um, not say, "Man, this is a this is a this is a long podcast." But that's not what awesome is. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think I would want them to feel like they're asking questions that I don't think we would have expected, um, mm-hmm. and that we're we're it, over the course of multiple episodes that they would be able to start feeling like they can put those dots together as well and take out something meaningful for them.
2: Okay. Cool.
1: So yeah, curiosity, I would say curiosity and me and uh, yeah, curiosity and meaning over a journey, you know, throughout the journey. Yeah. They want to be on the journey with us. They don't want to miss out on that, mm-hmm. those connections.
2: Yep. Got it. I mean, so off the top, maybe it's, you know, sort of peak and feed curiosity for our listeners,
0: mm.
2: maybe as a headline and then you mentioned see new patterns. Um, I wonder if that that's part of the way we think about set of key results there or whether that goes and I one way to think about your objective is what's the headline? Right? And right. even think and I use this, something called the town hall test, right? Which is, <laughs> hey, when you say it out loud to other people, do they like perk up or you know, tune out, right? And so think about it like, what's our headline? It's almost a liberating way to think about how we write the objective. So it doesn't get, you know, it doesn't have four paragraphs. It's just got one powerful statement that motivates whatever. And I don't know, peaking and feeding curiosity is actually kind of cool when you think about it. Um, who, who do yeah. you want to reach?
0: That is actually one of the most difficult questions that we've been struggling with. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of our experiment, too, is I think we're curious uh, there. I will say, you know, based off of who our partner in the podcast is, our, our, our sponsor is Kiln, which is a, a home to to startups and creatives and, and entrepreneurs, like I would imagine that that might be our primary audience is a, is a business kind of audience an entrepreneur type of audience. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So one of your KRs might be, uh, benchmark or assess audience response across costs a couple suspect demographics or, or mm. constituents, right. That might be one of the key results that you spend a quarter assessing out, right. Maybe that's one. Um, Maybe there's if it's like how would you know that you were you know sparking or feeding curiosity for other people? You you might have a set of key results related to people telling you, responding and commenting that they learned, they saw new patterns, they that opened up new way of thinking, right? Um, mm. That might be another one that is well, how would we know we were doing what we wanted to in our headline? Um, Little different than we have ten thousand listeners. Like, who cares? What did we want to have eleven thousand or six thousand or seven hundred thousand? Like, what's ten thousand mean? And then who are they, right? And if you're in the early days, it feels like more. You, what you might do in a quarter is figure out who cares where it lands, and you might be surprised by where it lands and for whom it lands. Maybe it turns out intrapreneurs more than entrepreneurs are super into Ooh. and get the most value out of right but it feels like benchmarking that and and using and setting a care that was around learning um, and getting data might be a good a good go particularly given where where you are at the launch stage and phase right
0: Yeah yeah I love that. I love that. I like the idea of the engagement part of it as well. And, and understanding what are you taking away from these episodes? Like, is it sparking new ways of thinking or like, I love that and just kind of measuring that engagement that and, and how they're engaging with the content as well. I, I, I like that a lot.
2: Yeah. How many conversations get sparked off of either patterns yeah. you bring forward or ideas you bring forward or guests that, and the, and the conversation itself would be, would be a way of maybe
0: measuring. Yeah. Do you ever, uh, I guess, so for us, we've always kind of talked about it behind the scenes, not necessarily as overtly um, as maybe even a little bit in this episode, but we do have three questions that, that are, are like a core undercurrent of, of these episodes. And that one of them was, what does it take to challenge or to create something that never existed before Uh, What does it take to challenge the status quo and what does it take to change the world? And have, I guess as, as it relates to outcomes, do you ever see really big, massive questions as outcomes? Like we don't know what this answer is going to be, but an outcome could be our answer, I guess.
2: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. The, so often in either the, in an early stage of launching something or when teams haven't measured before, the first quarter, of an awesome outcome might mean, might just be we instrumented so we could yeah. measure. Like that is our best possible. That by the end of this quarter, we set ourselves up to measure, go forward, right? And that would be amazing if we got that all done in the queue, right? Another one is actually our best possible is we end the quarter with data about what the consumption pattern is or who the audience or what the audience pattern is, right? Our best possible is we've got data now to work from forward, right? And often at the beginning of things, the acquisition of data is the outcome, right? Rather than we're gonna go from, we're gonna assume we already have the data and we know we need to go from 10 to 20. We don't know if we need to go to 10 to 20. We can't even measure to 10 yet. (laughs) So great would be we we get the ability to measure or, we find out that it's actually 500 and we should really be focused on the difference between 500 and 750, not the difference between 10 and 20, right? Like knowing the data at the end of the quarter, not changing the data at the end of the quarter would be super valuable, would be our best possible outcome.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. A lot of times kind of product I love, teams, looking, I love that. Teams,
2: it's, we have a fully funded approved plan with headcount allocated at the end of the quarter. We haven't started a thing, but Mm. if we had it funded by the end of the queue, that would be amazing, right? And and so the outcome is not do the plan, the outcome is the plan is funded.
0: Yeah, I love that, I love that. Spencer, do you have any other questions about that part of the the episode, like our own podcast uh, outcome? Do you have any other questions about that?
1: <laughs> um, oh, I think I do, but I'm not going to probably ask them that right now. But it, it's given given us some thought around it, and I think it'll help our listeners as well. Just be thinking about those things. And I like how you've highlighted really an MVP approach. I mean, just. Mm-hmm get what you need is the foundation, right? The data, that would be amazing. Um, that's get that over the line, that piece. And then we have more, we're more informed. When we reach out to seven different social platforms, we'll know which ones worked, which ones didn't, which ones, audi- which audiences uh, were attracted to, 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 you know, to which platform or to video versus uh, audio. So yeah, lots of food for thought. Yeah, no, no more questions um, uh, other than, I'd, you know, Yeah. I wonder when, at what point, um, no, no, go for it, Josh. No,
0: I was, I, I do want to ask before we end the podcast though, like Mm -hmm. I want to ask about, um, I I've read about the fact that you were twice inducted into the Smithsonian, uh, institution for innovation. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. It was uh, quite a while ago, but it was, um, the Smithsonian institution, particularly, um, 1999 to 2000, I think up to 2005, there was a huge shift in technology, right? There were some really breakthrough uses of technology, digital in particular, that were kind of extraordinary moments. And we uh, uh, had the opportunity to, to take this 100 years of Olympic history, which had been kind of, you know, in these secret libraries in one place in the world. And it's kind of a world treasure, but you know, you could only get there if you traveled to Switzerland and, you know, had a secret pass in his library, but we took this hundred years of Olympic history and made it digital searchable, had integrity, the original. And all of a sudden there's this public library of this hundred years of kind of world history, um, the photos and the athletes and the stories, including through two world wars and pretty uh, amazing content, but it was, um, because we're early, early, early in the world of digital, and uh, of course, because the Smithsonian is uh, uh, a place where world history and and world events are sort of connected. In we were uh, first first year was for the technique of getting the content digital. The second was for serving up the library in a public uh, the the software that was uh, that made that library completely searchable. So if your you know grandfather was on the Olympic team in the UK, in the 50s, you could search his name and find his photo and the caption and the races he ran and whatever, whatever, right? Like, so it was, um, it required a little bit of vision at the time to know that it was possible to do that. And it required uh, actually a lot of, you know, they say cutting edge and bleeding edge, We was way off the front of the bleeding edge to make that happen at the time. But boy, it was awesome to touch uh, history that way. We yeah, n- not inducted into the Smithsonian for it, but the uh, we did the same for Peter Drucker and his personal archives, and you know all of his books and all of his correspondence. And uh, honestly, that had the sort of the same kind of scale and and import because you know, he had uh, letters from every world leader kind of in my lifetime, which was pretty amazing, and they're like handwritten letters, and so that was also actually pretty. Um, pretty stunning and pretty amazing opportunity in the early days of taking treasures that matter to a lot of people and then making them available to, uh, to a much, much bigger audience. We sort of forget that there was a moment in time where um, you just, you had to go physically show up at the point of the treasure to partake of it. We forget that because now everything is online everywhere, but uh, there was a day when there was some groundbreaking going on to
0: unlock those treasures and and make them shareable. Man, I want to just do a whole podcast on that. Like I want to ask you like probably 10 to 20 questions right now about that. I mean, it sounds very meaningful that work. Like I think, oh man, if, okay. If I was to ask one, just one question is like, yeah, whether it was your work uh, archiving the Olympics or Peter Drucker, is there anything that stands out as, the thing that still sticks with you? Like, is there anything that you pulled from that, 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 you came across in that, in that work that, that was like, man, that still shapes me today or yeah. two
2: things that come to my mind, right. Um, in, in whatever, maybe three, right. One is this, um, the Olympics thing, right. Was you year like it's hundred years of athletes in pursuit of, their best performance, right? And teams in pursuit of their best performance. And um, and you just sort of see this sort of common beaming in their photos and their faces over like, I mean, pretty big change in that hundred years, right? In kind of culture and norms and the sports themselves, but this sort of the beaming of the pursuit of being great at something, it was, um, you, you have sort of a sacred approach to all of the photos and the artifacts because it's pretty amazing, really. Uh, so I think that just sort of the, the internal light that is Pursuit of Great would be one and how brightly that shines. Two, Peter Drucker was, I'd I, um, seen his content and those letters and what other people had to say about him before I met him. But when I met him, he was the most humble funny, kind person maybe I'd ever met. And so he was larger than life before I met him. And it would have been fairly hard to live up to the kind of the pedestal that I had him on, but he was over the top generous and kind and so warm. And so the lesson from that that sticks with me even now is that being humble and being kind are actually maybe your biggest signature in the world, n- not n- not your least important, but perhaps your most important. Um, and I- I've heard so many people tell stories about finally meeting somebody that thought was great and then not not meeting a humble, warm person. <laughs> right? And I, I had just the opposite perspective. I was so intimidated and he was so warm and com- kind. So that stood out as that that's a way to show up in the world right there. That is a beautiful way to show up in the world. And then the last probably is they were both very global and just how interconnected we all are and how this language is actually kind of seamed with the language next to it, seamed with the language next to it, and the cultures and so on. And it's actually really a big continuum as a bunch as opposed to a bunch of sort of isolated peoples it's really a continuum of language and peoples and that's um for me anyway again a a better way to to be in the world is thinking i'm part of a bigger continuum rather than i'm alone or i'm in one isolated segment or group or location or country and i'd rather be part of the bigger than um than to be on my own island uh and isolated from the bigger thing
0: yeah that's beautiful i mean all three of those examples i love how you were even connecting them back to you know yeah just workboard and and purpose and yeah i mean I mean I do have like 20 other questions but I think for the sake of time like I'm I, I just yeah it was amazing and I I would love to if possible we don't have to commit to anything right now but I would love to potentially have you back on I think and and have a have an opportunity to really understand I think that story potentially even more so in depth from from your work then all the way up until starting workboard or we can more, more of that detail in terms of your other two companies as as well. Like I think we're, we're super interested in your story and we would love to hear more about that um, if you, if you'd ever be willing, but I know we can follow up on that after, but yeah.
2: Perfect. Yeah. No, it was really fun to talk to you guys and good luck on your objectives and your key results. (laughs) I know you're (laughs)
0: podcasting.
2: It was a really fun conversation. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, for sure. Last thing, uh, if you, uh, how can people reach out to you or follow you? Uh, all the socials, you know, that, that you yeah. want to put out into the world. Uh, do you want to do that right now? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Daydree, and it's D A Y underscore D R E E, which is the decoder ring on how to say my name. That's the easiest way follow me there give me a shout out there ping me dm me whatever that's probably the easiest one
1: perfect wonderful thank you so much
2: awesome thank you guys it was fun
1: well thanks for hanging out with us we we really hope you enjoyed today's episode of the swell podcast please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple and get in on the conversation as well on all the major socials at The Swell Pod. We will see you next time.